Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. And welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on permanent good. Okay, let's just get one thing settled right now. Bug is coming in with way more energy than I am tonight. <laughs> Um, nah, it's all good. You said that with so much enthusiasm. I would say an uncharacteristic amount of enthusiasm. So I'm just sitting here like literally wiping the sleepies from my eyes. And you're like, yo, let's watch some movies. It's not even that. It's just I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. Okay, like can't have the same thing every time. You got to add a little flair here and there. Oh, well, and there's the difference between you and me. I, I've, I've said the same intro 65 times. Well, you know, it's New Year's Eve. We got to add a little flair in there. Yes. And hey, listen, people are going to parties. People are celebrating the end of the year. And you're here listening to a, you're listening, you're listening to a podcast tonight? A podcast? Tonight? You? To, okay, hold on. Wait. No. For you, that makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking about it. Mm. And for you, it makes sense. Totally on yeah. brand. Totally on brand. Look at you and being safe. Like a, Look at you being and safe. not like in a bad way. No. Not like in a bad way. So, like, hey, you know, after this, you're going to put on a different podcast and you're going to let it lull you to sleep. Unless we're the podcast that lulls you to sleep, in which case, that is some bad scheduling. No. Honestly, I'm honored. If you can fall asleep to my voice, that that's yeah, an honor. The problem is people will fall asleep to your voice and then wake up to mine. <laughs> so every 30 seconds, it's like this tumultuous in and out wave of not being able to sleep. People that fall asleep listening to us haven't gotten a full REM cycle in six months. Rip. <laughs> well, anyway... Uh, for this month's Small and Tall, we are doing holiday movies that aren't quite holiday movies. And, um, in theory, we kind of had this laid out to be, it's like the most like a holiday movie to the least like a holiday movie. And so in this episode, we are going to be covering The Holiday, Die Hard. What's the third one? Batman Forever. Batman Begins. Chronicles of Narnia. And, and Chronicles of Narnia. So, that being said, let's get into the holiday. Uh, full spoilers. We're back to full spoilers. All these movies can be streamed. P- continue at your own risk. Um, so, the holiday. Oh. The holiday. A fave. Bug, why don't you go first? Me going first? Well, do we want the movie description first? That's probably where we should start, yeah. huh? The part that I'm bad at. <laughs> yeah. So the description of this movie, um, it's Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz. They are both kind of like burnt out on love for different reasons. Uh, Kate Winslet has been a victim of unrequited love for like three years. And Cameron Diaz is just the beginning of this movie for her is breaking up with her long term boyfriend because he cheated on her. And so they're both kind of burnt out from love and they sign up onto this website that's like, hey, I want to swap houses with someone for like two weeks. And they swap houses with each other. So Cameron Diaz goes to uh, England, stays in like kind of like a cottage house kind of deal. And Kate Winslet goes to Cameron Diaz's house in L.A. where Cameron Diaz is like, you know, has very deep pockets, super rich. So both of them are kind of like out of their elements in terms of like financial situations. And it's them kind of like meeting new people and eventually falling in love again. Yes, indeed. Very heartwarming for the holiday season. Yes. I think that this movie, I know I was going to let you go first, (laughs) but uh, 
as a man, it is my right to talk. To oh my God. Um, this is very much like, I'm going to say this is a very cookie cutter rom-com. It, it is definitely the most like a holiday movie. It's, I wouldn't say it's a Christmas movie, but it is definitely most appropriately watched during the holiday season. Yes, absolutely. And it, and it's your, it is a rom-com set during the Christmas time, but it's not a Hallmark movie. No, this is like one of my favorite rom-coms that are out there that we didn't watch in our rom-com episode. Okay, cool, 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 cool. I did not like this movie at all. What do you mean? <laughs> How did you not like this one? I thought this movie was so boring. No, oh. okay, but that's because we've been watching so many movies that have so much drama that's involved with the love and the reason that i like this one is because it's like simple it's not like oh this big deal it's like these people meet and they slowly fall in love and you watch them get to know each other and fall in love with each other without all the extra drama except for in the first half hour of the movie before they switch houses yeah i i very much agree it is it is a slow burn kind of movie it is very simple and i just think that it would have been more interesting if getting to know them was a more fun process because every time that cameron diaz and hugh grant no it's not hugh grant Who jude is law it? jude law um every time that cameron diaz and jude law are together it is like i feel like i'm watching someone be on a date like yeah, it's realistic. Real it's a realistic rom-com. Okay, here's the okay. This is the flag that we have planted in the permanent good like mound. Just because it's realistic doesn't make it interesting. Because in fact, real life is very boring. Well, yeah. And but when it comes to falling in love and you're a girl and it's an actual gentleman sitting across from the woman in the movie instead of a douchebag like there usually are in rom-coms, it's a breath of fresh. In air. Sure, sure. And uh Okay, I mean, brush that off, Gregory. <laughs> well, I was gonna I was I was I was seeing your point. I see your point. I also didn't love Jude Law in this movie. I like you say he's a gentleman, and I definitely see that, but he had he I just, I don't know, I didn't like his character. And not like his character in the movie, but there was something about that about Jude Law's character that i'm just like mm, i'm not clicking with you no nah, he's hot and as i hell. also wasn't cl- and i also wasn't clicking with cameron diaz either okay that one i can I, agree with i'm just not a fan of like like the uppity rich girl being thrown out of her element i i'm just not a fan of that trope i'm like oh she had to walk in the snow oh the house is too small she had to use a wood heater like i'm like Okay, fine, whatever. I just didn't find that terribly interesting. But again, I, I it's this just isn't my movie, and I respect that. I guess I can. I guess I can respect your opinion on the matter, but just know <laughs> it's wrong. It <laughs> I, I will say one thing. For Jack Black being on the poster, he's not in much of this movie. Not until the latter third of it. Yeah, so he's like, he is the first character you see on screen. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a Jack Black heavy movie. And then he disappears for 30 minutes. Yeah. He's just, he's just not in the movie. Um, There was like a cute thing. Again, very stereotypical rom-com. There's a bit where 
when Jack Black and Kate Winslet are meeting for the first time and uh, there there's like a wind that strikes up and he's like, oh, it's the winds. That means anything can happen. And he says it all cutesy and she kind of like does, you know, she like kinda a little blushes girly, like, a little bit. Yeah. And that was a cute moment. I, I, I really enjoyed watching Kate Winslet and Jack Black way more than Cameron Diaz and Jude Law. Like their story was so, it was much more interesting and they had much more chemistry together. And I just think that they're better actors and I, I feel like they had a better scene to put on. I really liked that line because, you know, it's one of those lines that'll make your heart flutter. And then it's followed by him, like, being all close to her, getting something out of her eyelash for her. And it's just like, oh, yeah, oh, my heart. But my other favorite line from this entire movie is a Jude Law line. And it's actually two. And it's when she's like, why did you stay after they both got very drunk at the bar? And he's like, because you asked me to. And then after that, he's like, from the moment I met you, it's been an adventure and i'm like oh my heart (laughs) yeah uh this movie does have uh, a hearty amount of rom-com one-liners i love so okay so kate winslet her experience with this is entirely different than cameron diaz's as you'd hope it would be with a movie like this but she meets an older gentleman who lives up the road Who's yes. like this script writer, right? Something yeah, like this that. Like, this old retired Writers Guild member, like legendary in the screenwriting business. Yes. Um, and, and they're like neighbors. They're like neighbors and they become very close friends. And the scene and like he is up for like this night of, you know, discussing recognition. his recognition yes that's the word i was looking for he's up for this night of recognition and she convinces him to do it and he's like but i need to be able to walk and she's like i'll help you get in shape and the scenes of like the montage of them getting in shape together and him like learning to walk without his walker and all it this was, stuff it was, it was so cute. cute it was so yeah. cute yeah, and and that was the part of the movie that I did enjoy. Um, I, I and like I said, I wasn't a big fan of there. So the tension I would say between Jack Black and Kate Winslet is Kate Winslet was still in love with someone who was engaged and was like purposefully stringing her along, and Jack Black was in a relationship with someone who lied to him and cheated on him. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where um. It's the night of Arthur's recognition, who's the old screenwriter. And on that day, he gets Jack Black gets a call from his girlfriend that's like, hey, I'm sorry. Can I make it up to you? Can we talk? Can we figure this out? And meanwhile, the audience has already written this character off. Like, bye, Felicia. You're out of here. And so to kind of have her call and like Jack Black prioritized this. He's like, hey, I'm going to try to make it to the award tonight. But no promises. I hated that. I hated that bit. hated that. And I'm just like, because I don't think it really resolved anything. I, like, me as a viewer, I'm like, oh, I've written this off and so has Jack Black. So to have her, like, reintroduce herself and, like, have him essentially be like, because that was kind of what they bonded over. Was Kate Winslet was like, hey, I'm moving on from this person. I know that you can too. And instead, he kind of just says, I was with you until it got convenient for me. Never mind. Right. That was, that was very frustrating. That was like, 
a slap in the face because like we saw them bonding you know they were bonding over all this stuff and then all of a sudden he's like oh my ex just called me and she wants to talk about our breakup and so I'm gonna go even though it's this night of this really important thing that I already promised you I'd be there for I was like what a douchebag hey, move I'm gonna hey Jack Black I'm gonna teach you three words that are super important how about tomorrow <laughs> hey we hey we would have fixed a lot of things in that another thing that I feel like is really different with this movie compared to other rom-coms is that instead of like you know because a lot of the time it's the woman who is like pouring her heart out to this man and wanting you know them to be together and you know it works out or it doesn't in this you have Jude Law absolutely vulnerably pouring his heart out to Cameron Diaz and she just says nothing in response yeah other than other than I've never met a man who talks as much as I do (laughs) yeah um and Cameron Diaz had a super specific character trait is the word I'm going to use for right now where um she can't cry and we don't know why for a good two-thirds of this movie until she tells us or she tells Jude Law that's like when my parents got divorced I cried for so long I never cried again and I'm like huh that certainly is a that's a choice that is a character choice that is trauma. Yeah, I guess when you put it like that. <laughs> what do you mean? She was traumatized and so her body was like, nope, no more. So what I'm hearing is she didn't need love. She needed a therapist. I mean, yeah, but you know, why not both? <laughs> and there was another aspect about Cameron Diaz's character that again almost made her interesting which was whenever she was like trying to have a moment of peace so her job the reason why she's rich is because she is the owner of a company that cuts movie trailers and she is like the head director and she finalizes every trailer that goes through the company and there are these bits where like whenever she's about to have a moment of peace (laughs) she has like a trailer of her life run through her head with like an overhead voice and everything and i'm like this is almost cool i feel like they just like weren't written super well and like they only did it twice it was like if it was something that happened a little bit more often and was a character trait rather than something that was more like a bit for the movie right then i think that then it could have been a cooler aspect but it was just like we need like 90 more seconds can we get the voiceover guy back <laughs> so craig what did you think of mr Napkinhead? what did i think of it is a good bit for a kid exactly right it's a good bit for a kid i like would my... you this woman shows up at your house that you have slept with twice now once intimately once just sleeping next to each other and she's leaving in like a couple days at this point and uh you know your kids are there that you have not told her about are you letting her in the house so I mean, I think it's like how bad, here's how I look at it, right? That is a moment of vulnerability, right? Above anything else. Like for the kids, 
It's a bit. It's a character. For Cameron Diaz, it is a moment of vulnerability. And mm. it is a calculation of me doing this is me saying, I want you to see more moments like this. Right. So it's a point of like, I don't know. I can't imagine finding a kind of person that I would let into every aspect of my life over the course of nine days. Uh, so that might be a bit of a, a of a push right for me but like yeah i mean like at some point they're gonna have to see the dumb bits you do <laughs> also going back to the cameron diaz's crying issue they did another thing that was opposite of most rom-coms where you know usually it's the girl that we see crying all the time but they made jude law's character the softy who cries like a baby at movies and when she leaves and all that stuff instead of having it be the woman who's crying all the time yeah um yeah like he definitely is more sentimental than most well when i look back on it a lot of dudes in rom-coms are sentimental so i think it's kind of par for the course this is definitely okay here's how i'm gonna put it jude law was definitely a man written by a woman yes like nancy myers you can see her all throughout jude law that's why i find him incredibly attractive in this movie (laughs) Yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to, because the first scene that we meet him, you know, he stumbles up to her house, wasted, yes. out of his gourd, and it's gourd. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> uh, uh, and there's a very weird dynamic that I feel like uh, if I were Cameron Diaz, I wouldn't have played into as much. Mm-hmm. Because she sits down, she talks with him, and they kind of go have like a little bit of like flirty banter going on. If that were me, like I still would have let him in. Like, hey, here's the couch. Here's some blankets. If you need me, I'm playing Pokemon. Other than that, see you in the morning. Right. Like if you show up on my doorstep drunk, right? And I and get, you are a stranger. And you are a stranger. I am in a stranger's house. And you're like, hey. I'm this person's brother, like, I told you her name, all this stuff, I know this stuff. I'd be like, okay, so you're gonna stay out here, and I'm gonna go into the bedroom and lock the door and push the dresser up against the door. I'm not gonna sit here and make out with you and then have sex with you. Yeah. Oh, they did do, uh, okay, the one kind of, like, thing that I'm always a sucker for is when they first kiss, they pull away. And then I forget who it was, but one of them was like, can I do that again? And I'm like, all right, I'm like enough, that one. I see you. I'm like that one. Yeah. See it, see it, <laughs> like it. Check that one off. There was also a bit that was definitely played for comedy that... I, I can't say much more than I recognize it was played for comedy, which is where Jude Law calls Kate Winslet and is like, <laughs> hey, I met the person in your house, da da da. And he's trying to make sure that like she doesn't know that he's sleeping with Cameron Diaz. But then Cameron Diaz calls and Kate Winslet is like jumping back and forth between the phones and eventually like catches uh, on. Is, yeah. It, it sh- thinks she's speaking to someone else when she's actually speaking to Cameron Diaz and she's like I can't believe you slept with my with the person at my house I can't believe you slept with a stranger and Cameron Diaz it's like oh it's still me oh. and then she cl- and then she clicks off again goes off again and Cameron Diaz is like nope still me didn't switch <laughs> off again and I'm like all right I see this that was I, a good one that was a good one th- this movie is like it's for the romantics it is yes 
Hardcore. Um, like I said, Jack Black and Kate Winslet carried this movie. The arc with Arthur was super cute. Um, that should have been the movie. I disagree. I think they both did great. Both sets of couples did great. I liked both stories, and it's definitely for the romantics. And I am going to rate this one first, because yes. I didn't get to go first. <laughs> anyway, I'm giving this a 5 out of 10. Yay! <laughs> You Man, you are really making future Craig edit a lot. Yeah, that's what you get for this shed. I'm going to give this movie an eight. Wow. Because it's my favorite it's like my favorite rom com, but also like my favorite like holiday movie that's not necessarily a Christmas movie. Yeah, and again, official verdict, not a Christmas movie but should be watched in the holiday season. Exactly. The first time I watched this movie, I was eight. I was at a sleepover with my cousin, and we watched it on a midi, like a mini portable DVD player. So it was a moment. I have so many memories like that. Like, I used to have um, a TV that was literally like a six-inch screen, and uh, it had a built-in VHS player, and it was almost portable. Like, it had a handle on it. Right. Um, And I just remember putting it in my bed, tilting it to the side so that way i could lay down to watch return of jafar of course and like i have so and um i there were so many car rides where there was like the headrest dvd player mm-hmm. um where we would watch charlie and the chocolate factory i remember happening a lot the johnny depp one Ooh. as well as madagascar those are the two that i remember in that whole experience but anyway that's a nice trip down memory <laughs> um are you ready to talk about die hard yes unfortunately 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 uh, uh oh i feel like we're about to have a swapped situation here <laughs> You gonna, know it. This this is our the holiday, <laughs> but worse. So Die Hard, if you're not familiar, is a movie with Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. Uh, Bruce Willis plays a man named John McClane, a New York cop who is flying to L.A. to meet his wife, who has had a job there for like six months. And they're kind of like on the outs because he hasn't been super supportive of her having this job. And he is flying to meet her to kind of like try to reconcile. And he shows, so he shows up to her work during the holiday party. On Christmas Eve. Yeah, on Christmas Eve. And during the holiday party, the building gets, uh, you know, terrorists show up and hold the building hostage while they try to get war bonds out of the vault. And that, and Alan Rickman is the head of the terrorists. And so John McClane kind of being on the inside of the building and like the only law enforcement that kind of knows what he's doing, it's more or less up to him to stop these terrorists from killing everybody and getting the money. Yeah, and for most of it, I was bored. Okay. Like I'm listening, continue. I was just so like the beginning kind of starts off, you know, slow or whatever and you're like, okay. It does start out slow. He's back. They're smoking in an airport. That was weird to watch. Very 80s. Hey, real talk. Hey, no. Uh, why'd you just send me a Snapchat? We are recording a podcast. Because it's Hemlock and he was being really cute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can multitask. That's why. Um, so, you know, they're smoking in an airport. You know, he gets to the holiday party. He's bickering with his wife as he gets 
changed all this stuff and then like you said they show up and I'm like okay okay here comes the action and then there's really not that much action like it's just it looks like like he runs up to the roof or the not the roof but like however many floors above where the party is happening into this room that's being worked on and he doesn't have shoes on and so it looks like it could have been a modern dance piece going on for most of it until the action actually starts an hour and a half into the movie yeah, so the building itself is not fully complete. So there's a good portion of this movie that is spent on floors that are still under construction. So it looks, a lot of this building looks like an unfinished basement. Um, And it's a lot of, I, th- I would say that this is like a lot more of a tension movie than it is action. Yes. Um, Because there's lots of scenes of Bruce Willis um, climbing through air vents, sliding down elevator shafts, um, and just kind of like trying to evade the terrorists using the nooks and crannies of the building. Like it was a very- that's the first half of the movie. It was a very defensive movie instead of an offensive movie. And for me to stay interested, you have to, first of all, hook me in the first quarter. And second of all, you got to keep the action rolling. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that there was a... I I enjoyed a lot of the tension throughout this movie. Uh, Something that I think was really... The moment where I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm ready for this movie. And again... This is far into the movie. This doesn't happen soon. But um, throughout the movie, more and more police and FBI and military are showing up to this building as the terrorist threat becomes more and more public. And But the first guy that shows up is a street cop. And uh, the only way that the street cop named Al can communicate with John McClane is through like radio, uh, basically walkie-talkie. But the only way that they can talk is is also on the same channel that the terrorists are on with their walkie-talkies. So it was a really cool dynamic of knowing that everything that these two say can try to... Everything that these two say trying to save the day is also going to be overheard by the bad guys. And I thought that that was a very cool element to kind of add, like, now we need to figure out how to be three steps ahead instead of just one. I agree. I agree. That was... A solid aspect of it. Also, Alan Rickman is so cool in this movie. He's so cool in this movie. I made sure to write that down, that he was phenomenal in this. Yeah, this is Alan Rickman's kind of breakout role. It's not his first role, but it's the one that got him famous. Yeah. And like, valid, valid. Uh, my favorite part, okay, spoiler, obviously we said spoilers are allowed. My one of my there's I have two favorite parts of this movie, right? One is when John puts uh what's his face in his place when he's on when he puts Dwayne on uh, in yeah. his place because that was pretty great when he was like, Hey, put put Al back on. I don't yeah. want to talk to you no more. <laughs> yeah, because the feds are, are like, and like the district attorney is there and the feds are there and everyone's like, you don't have jurisdiction. You can't do this, which correct, fair. But as far as like movie and fiction goes, it's like, nah, let the guy do what he's trying to do. He's the one trying to save the day. And Al's the only one that gets him. Exactly. But my second favorite part was Alan Rickman playing the part of a party goer instead of the leader of this terrorist group and him like playing into that. That was like such a smart move for his character's part. And I was like, oh, yes, the villain. 
I genuinely wish that scene had gone on longer. Yes, it was cut way too short. He he has this cover for like three minutes. And it's like, oh, let's go upstairs. What do you need to go upstairs for? And then that's it. But it, like that would have been, I would have loved to have seen more, th- more of that. That was such a cool dynamic. Uh, one part that I thought was interesting was the first like physical fight Bruce Willis gets in. He loses his gun within 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's lots of fights where you're just like, if this wasn't a movie, Bruce Willis would be dead. So just dead. Straight up. Because the and, and the first fight of this movie sets a tone for the rest of it and sets a vendetta for the rest of this. Because the first fight that Bruce Willis is in, um, he kills his... Uh, assailant and that and that guy is a brother of someone else who is on the terrorist team so now it's personal for that guy i did like i did like the fact that he sent him down the elevator with a santa hat on and writing on his shirt (laughs) yeah and i thought it was super cool to have like everybody here is trying to be as professional as possible except for this one guy who's just like i this is personal now Yep. And, um, oh, I do want to talk about, I want to talk about my favorite character in this movie. Can I just give a shout out to Argyle? Argyle, the limo driver. Who, okay, so this is, this is the, this is the roadmap for Argyle the limo driver. He picks up John McClane from the airport. He says, hey, this is my first time being a limo driver. And John McClane's like, it's okay, it's my first time in a limo. And like, they have a little bit of banter in the car. And then when they drop him off, um, when Argyle drops off John at Nakatomi Plaza, he's like, hey, I know you're on the outs with your wife. If you're able to stay with her, I'll take your stuff up. If you're not, I'll drive you to a hotel, which like big bro move right there. Definitely. Like big bro energy right there because he's not up there for a short period of time, even before the terrorist stuff starts happening because he's in her office for like probably an hour, like getting cleaned up talking to his wife like and kind of like get trying to like see everything at the party he's up there for a minute and then he calls argyle and he's like hey so what do you want me to do with your bags and john's like i don't know yet and as if i were argyle i would have been like all right then i'm taking him up you can figure it out after that and then uh then the terrorist attack starts happening happening and argyle is shown again and you're like oh we're gonna be cutting back to argyle for a while no no (laughs) and then he proceeds to not be in 90 minutes of the movie yeah and then he rolls up rolls up in the very last scene and john's like don't worry he's with me and then they have like a budding bro moment one more time and i'm like argyle you did not deserve this like you stuck around throughout an entire terrorist attack on your first time being a limo driver i would quit the next day yeah for real like hey no job has that kind of loyalty if there was an attack on like the place i work bye see ya (laughs) goodbye and i know he was not making enough in 1980 to put up with that yeah, so these guys are stealing $600 million in war bonds, which I, I'm i a 22-year-old man. I still don't know how bonds work. No. I'm just, I'm taking it at face value, okay? <laughs> they didn't teach us so, that in school. <laughs> they tried to. I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I definitely didn't take a class where they taught it. So these guys were stealing approximately $1.4 billion. Damn. And... I would have just been like, you know what? Have fun. Have fun, guys. 
And, you know, you could argue all you want, you know, this movie is cop propaganda or whatever, but, like, this is so far removed from, like, actual police work where I'm able to look at this movie and just be like, all right, this is an action hero doing action hero stuff, and I respect that. Well, yeah, because if anything, this movie made cops out to be the bad guys because they weren't believing John in the building of what was going on and the detective chief or whatever was like no he's just as bad as him get him out of there let us do our thing but they weren't doing anything and more people were dying and john was cleaning up the mess yeah and the audacity that that guy had where after john is out of the building the like the the what is he like the lieutenant chief he's like listen you have a lot to answer for ellis's building destruction of property and i'm like shut Shut it! You're just mad because you didn't do it yourself. And I, I really liked. Okay, I want to give a shout out to um Al in this movie just because I think that like pound for pound he's the best actor. He gives in the sense that he had the least to work with. Yes. Right. Alan Rickman is amazing in this movie, absolutely. And um uh but you know, he's doing a lot. Reginald Val Johnson is at that radio the entire movie. And I and like I still got a lot from his character, which I thought was super cool. Like this guy literally has no movement, but he's still my favorite character in the movie. I agree, definitely. And I think that he had good um he also had a good backstory. I thought he was well written and he had a very short but very well-earned uh, kind of, I don't want to call it a redemption arc, but like he had a very strong character moment at the end that I thought was very well-earned. I agree wholeheartedly. I thought that also like the scenes of them like hooking up the explosives and like welding and sawing stuff those were kind of interesting i was like ooh, it feels like an actual like they feel like villains in this moment and not just guys with guns yeah the bit where they like saw all the phone lines off yeah like because you know this this technology is 30 years removed like we're like okay so he's cutting i don't know building support (laughs) no like you don't know what it is until it's like oh john is on the phone with argyle and he gets cut off i'm like oh so these are the kind of bad guys we're dealing with right that's when you kind of start to understand the severity of what's about to go down yeah um there were lots of very iconic scenes you know, as so- listen, this is the first time I've watched this movie, which <laughs> I got to say, there are two types of people. There are people that enjoy the Die Hard references in Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the people that watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine and, ex- and just understand that these are, in fact, Die Hard references. <laughs> and I am very much the latter. I watched all eight seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I'm, at some point, there were moments during that show where I'm like, I should watch Die Hard. Never did. Never watched it. But now that I've watched it, I'm like, I'm not going to go back and watch the show. But like, I understand it now. Yeah, I'd seen it in bits and pieces. But this is my first time like in a long, long, long time that I actually sat down and watched it all the way through. And there are some iconic moments that it definitely hold up. Like him having the gun taped to his back. That was cool. The shot of... Hans falling from the window. Also amazing. Um, also, 
I, there reaches a point where John just doesn't care how much blood he's covered in and does not care where this blood gets rubbed off because there's a final moment of being reunited with his wife where he is, I would say, 40% someone else's blood at that point. Yeah, rubbing it all and over he, her. Getting it all over her, like making out with her. And I would have just been like, hey, I love you. Thank you so much. What an amazing moment of passion. Let's take a shower. That was one of the sloppiest kisses on screen I've ever seen. Oh my God. Like I was borderline uncomfortable watching that kiss. I was like, okay, okay. Like, dang, all right. Because it looked like he just like opened his mouth and slid it from one side (laughs) of her face to the other. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those things where like just like physics speaking. How does that work? Like how are you how are you what is am I let's move on. <laughs> the okay, do you there's one scene where he is putting himself into this like elevator shaft or something and he is holding himself up via gun. a gun on the strap of the gun. Do you think a machine gun would be strong enough to hold up a man? With that much muscle mass? I think so. I mean, most of those guns are like a mixture of plastic and metal. So I think that there's like, it's not, it's hard to bend a gun. Well, yeah, but like, my thing is like, do you think he could even out the surface tension enough to where no side of it slipped a little bit and ruined the entire thing? Um, I mean, you would have to practice it. You would definitely yes. not be able to just do it on your first go. So, and the gun does eventually slip. It's not like he, you know, right. repels all the way to the bottom of the shaft. And that was a very, that was like the, probably the best attention grab. Like if you were not in this movie by the time he does that jump, it's gonna, you're probably not gonna be in this movie because I thought that that was a very cool, tense jump. Like obviously we all know he's gonna make it one way or another, but that like split second where the gun slides and goes down the shaft and he jumps from it and lands on like the handhold below the one he wanted. Right. I'm like, all right, that was pretty cool. Yeah. All right, that was pretty cool, John. That's the attention grabber that that that's the one that got me. Yeah. It's so I am thinking like this movie had the unfortunate uh effect of not being able to fit in my schedule very well. <laughs> so I so I watched an hour of this movie at 3 a.m. Oh my god. Then I watched 30 minutes of this movie at 10 a.m. Then I watched the last 30 minutes right before we started to record. Oh and, my god. I watched the whole thing two hours before we started recording, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm just like, this is one of those movies where if I watched this in the theaters in the 80s, this pr- I would probably be Jake Peralta. I would not be able to shut up about this movie because there's there's a lot of really cool things happening. Um, but I, I think that this movie, um, if, if you're not seeing it until now, it's going to have the effect of I've seen better action movies than this. We've made better action movies than this. And I'm not not seeing it in the environment it's quote-unquote intended to be seen it so those are hurdles that it can't really help but it's a matter of fact anyway exactly um, so in conclusion i'm giving this one a five because it's good for its era of action but there has been better and i was kind of bored 
Yeah, this is a seven and a half for me. This movie rules. Ugh. It's one of those. Mo- yeah, it's one of these movies where I'm like, I might watch the rest of these. Mm. Like, I know that '80s action flicks have like the notorious reputation of the first one being the only good one, but like, I might watch the rest of these movies. <laughs> you have fun with that. Don't count me in. Um, I'll tend. I'll send you line by line updates. Oh dear God. Okay, we need to come up with a verdict on if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So, I I don't know. I think I think that it's going to be the case with all of these movies, which is it is not a Christmas movie, but it is a movie that is most appropriate to be watched during Christmas. Right, it's a winter themed movie. Yeah. So, I I'm honestly very neutral on this sentiment. You can say it's a Christmas movie. You can say it's not a Christmas movie. I'll believe you either way. I have no real stake in the claim. <laughs> I agree. Now, Batman Returns, however... That one's pretty. That's a pretty, that's a Christmas movie. It's honestly, I feel like we should have put we should have put Batman Returns before Die Hard. Yeah, because this is very much a, the only thing that is stopping this movie from being a wholehearted Christmas movie is the fact that this movie came out in July. Yeah, I I never really understood that. And I listen, the the marketing people behind big studios like Warner Brothers, like they they don't do anything without a reason. Right. So there must have been something that's like we need this movie in July. But also here in the year 2021, almost 2022, it does seem a little out of place. Well, There is that there is that phenomenon where they do have Christmas in July. You know, I hadn't considered that. Maybe Warner Brothers just did a big Christmas in July seasonal event. 1992, all of our Christmas movies come out in July. Hey, why not? Um, but uh, in regards to Batman Returns, if you are unfamiliar with the movie, uh, it is Michael Keaton's second run as Bruce Wayne. It is Tim Burton's second time directing Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. Uh, Danny DeVito is the Penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer is Selena Kyle and um, Christopher Walken is, I would say, the real antagonist of this movie. Absolutely. His name is Shrek. That's not a joke. <laughs> His name is just Shrek. Um, and there, this was the era of every Batman movie needed two villains. Uh, the first Batman movie only had the Joker, but the rest of the 90s Batman movies, it was always the Penguin and Catwoman, the Riddler and Two-Face, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. I'm like, okay, let's, uh, this is, this is a lot. And this movie has, I would say, a lot happening between Selina Kyle and Coswald, Oswald Cobblepot and Shrek. I'm like, I'm like, this is... These are a lot of bad guys. Hey, Tim. Tim, these are a lot of bad guys. Yeah, like, this is a star-studded cast, and there's a lot of bad guys, so much to the point where there's so little actual Batman in this movie. Yeah! I noticed that, too. And this movie is very Muppets Christmas Carol in the sense that this movie is a cartoon, right? Danny DeVito is, you know, this mutated penguin man. Selena Kyle is this mutated cat woman who was brought back from the dead. 
and Christopher Walken is he's Christopher Walken um so everybody is playing these cartoon characters and then you have Michael Keaton who is playing this movie as serious as a funeral <laughs> and he goes and like there are several scenes where he's with the penguin and he's just like you need to stop your plan right now. I know that you're the leader of this gang. I just don't have the proof to do it. And Danny DeVito's like, I'm going to eat this fish. <laughs> this, I would say this movie contains multitudes. Okay, but can we talk about how horrifying Danny DeVito as Penguin is? Okay, there are two things specifically that makes him terrifying. The first, obviously, him eating the raw fish. Disgusting every time. <laughs> My mom despises this movie specifically for that. And like, fair, fair. And the second thing is the black ooze. The mm. fact that Danny DeVito's Penguin will just... I would say randomly just kind of leak oil from his mouth. <laughs> it's a, it's unsettling to say I, the least. The first time I saw this movie, I was very young and it horrified me. He horrified me. Yeah, so I had a four-disc collection, or it was a two-disc, four-movie collection of Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. And I watched this movie the least of the four because of Danny DeVito's Penguin. Also, this movie just generally has a, I don't want to say a higher concept plot, but it, it its plot is not very comic book like so where you have like the joker and he wants to do, use his joker gas and the riddler has his you know exploding toys and whatnot the penguin is like i want to become mayor and selena kyle is like i want to take over the working class <laughs> not exactly child not, they're difficult to approach as a child those themes well this movie is rated pg-13 this it's rated PG-13 and it borders on R at some points, I feel. Yeah, if they just used the F word a few times, this could, this would have been rated R. But as an adult, how did you interpret those themes? I think this movie is still a little boring. I agree. So, so it's not bad. I like this movie. It's just because of its... The stakes seem very low, right? There are times where they explain something and the stakes get higher. Like, you know, Shrek wants to create a battery to essentially become the most powerful man in the world. But like, what does that mean really? <laughs> and then Oswald kidnaps tries to kidnap the mayor's son and then eventually or kidnaps shrek's son rather and eventually is like i want to kidnap every elite child in the city and that's when i'm like all right now we're going somewhere finally okay but can we talk about um how the scene of selena like destroying her all pink apartment and making it black is just every sixth grader going on seventh grader who found punk pop music over summer <laughs> yes <laughs> selena kyle goes through several i would call relatable phases throughout this movie you know there's the single cat lady which mood <laughs> then you know there's the corporate slave which mood then you know there's the destroying your old boss's property mood. legally not a mood but 
otherwise mood. Um, also, the beginning of this movie, they try to, I'm going to say, they try to make Michelle Pfeiffer undesirable, right? They give her messy hair, you know, unkempt glasses, and just like, in general, like, a not well put together person. And I saw her walk on screen and I'm like, if they were trying to make me not like her because of this, they were wrong. You can't, they failed. You can't make Michelle Pfeiffer not attractive. It just doesn't work. And also that like messy 90s look is such an aesthetic. Chef's kiss. It is so, so good. So like her two modes in this were messy 90s or leather clad cat woman. And I'm like, maybe this is the movie for me. Maybe I do like this movie. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I need to get a cat suit. But she also said that once filming was over, she never wanted to see that cat suit ever again. Yes. Yeah. I was looking through a lot of the trivia and like she could only film in the cat suit for like a few minutes at a time because it was vacuum sealed to her body Stupid. and would make her. S- yeah. And it would. Dr- she just almost get a heat stroke every time hate that which for her. uh oh my god that sounds awful but while while we're on the michelle pfeiffer praise train which choo choo this is going all the way to the station um that i don't know there's behind the scenes footage of michelle th- this movie downplays how cool whipping the heads off the mannequin oh is. my god i love that video because there's a behind the scenes video of her doing all all four heads in one take, her first take, and just she's done with it. And this movie cuts around it to make it look like several other things are happening at the same time. But that behind the scenes video is almost better. I agree. It's because she it's literally just her by herself in this open mall set and she just cracks the head off of four mannequins in a row and I'm like, Michelle, I love this for you. Michelle, I'll let you do it to me. She is fantastic in this movie. Though okay, although the one thing I wasn't a fan of, and if you know me as a person, this tracks. <laughs> Where she stuffs that whole bird in her mouth and just kind of lets it chill there for like a minute. You know, I have a personal attachment to domestic birds, so that was just not fun to watch as a person. But also just like how that would work practically. Birds have so many bones. Birds have so... That's all I could think about is the bird pooping. But also, birds have so many bones. They're little. They are fragile. You could chew through them, but there's so many of them. It'd be like chewing through scrambled eggs where you just threw the whole egg in there. Like, yeah, you could chew through the egg. You're not going to want... This is difficult for me to get through. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear it, but this is difficult for me to get through. It's difficult for me to listen to. And I also think of, like, the talons. Like, the talons just kind of, like, chilling in your mouth. Like, no thanks. No, I hate there's a it. Reason why, there's a reason why birds get defeathered. Uh, Do you know, one part, and, one part that I didn't like was uh, how willing Batman was to just deck the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, she does that one. Th- 
to be fair, she does get him once. Yeah. Where she's like, oh, you wouldn't hit a woman, would you? And he's like, you know, you're right. I shouldn't hit a woman. And then she just clocks him. And then I'm like, and then he's like, all right, the gloves are off. It is you're all, on this. It is all in self-defense. But still, just how easily he's just like clocking her off buildings. <laughs> um, I have always been a fan of the Bruce-Selena dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I genuinely think that they are the best for each other in terms of a relationship. Uh, and this movie explores that in the most basic way possible. It's like they meet at the office, they have one dinner scene, and then they meet again at a different party. And I'm like, okay, guys, come on. I like this relationship. I like the chemistry that Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer have. It's a little awkward, but like, I feel like that's kind of the point. Right. But then every chance you have to do something with it, they're just like, never mind. Never Never mind, mind. Catwoman's bad. Never mind, we're going to have him decker across the face. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I forgot how literally they took her being a Catwoman. Yeah. Because... You know, we have the whole, like, licking herself. First of all, she is not licking herself clean. She is licking the suit clean. All right? And I feel like that's even grosser. Yep. But but then she has, but then she legitimately has nine lives. Which, let's be clear, cats don't. They have (laughs) one life. They're just really careful with it. Meanwhile, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is like, you can shoot me in the head eight times before I feel it. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I just think that's funny. I want to live like that. I wish I had nine lives. Uh, but then there's the part where uh, this movie is even more cartoony, which is all of the penguin stuff, mm-hmm. where he rides around in a giant robotic rubber duck, <laughs> and um, he, he, he has an amusement park ride he has like a little ride that they have in front of grocery stores that he uses to control the batmobile which i thought was fun um he has you know real penguins and robotic penguins in the sewers with him that's fun wild oh i always forget that paul rubens in this movie oh yeah i'm like oh (laughs) Pee-wee Herman, because that's who he will always be to me. Yeah, dude, we could talk a lot about Paul Rubens and just his tragic career history. But, um, yeah, because he plays, um, the Penguin's dad. The one, you know, that throws him away. Which, this movie has a very dark beginning. It's like, hey, we have our child locked in a cage, and then we're gonna throw him in the river. Which, like, I am I am of mixed feelings about it uh, because, yes, they should not have done that. But also, he does just eat the family cat just because. Just because. So I'm not going to say they're unjustified, but, like, the fact that their first reaction was River, they could have taken a little bit more of a pragmatic approach to it all. And, like, if you're going to throw the kid in the river, maybe don't throw him in something that floats. <laughs> well, because I feel like they wanted to get rid of him, but they didn't want to kill Kill him. Okay. They valid. just didn't. They just didn't want him to be their problem anymore. Just take him to an and orphanage. Don't throw him in the river. Yeah. Yeah. I, there were those parents are um, responsible for I would say a lot of deaths in Gotham City. 
Uh, At the very least, responsible for a lot of property damage. Truly. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I don't know if it's Go or Go. I'm going to say Go. I'm going to say Go. But Michael Go, who who played Alfred in all four of the 90s Batman movies. Mm. Um, You are my one and only Alfred. I (laughs) love you. Uh, Thank you for putting in the work. I will never forget you. Uh, he, he is not he is not in very much of this movie as we've discussed previously this is a batman movie by name and name alone pretty much um but every line he and, has in this movie is like spectacular and perfectly placed yeah he's very much like i, I love in alfred that still tries to father bruce that's like hey i have a sandwich for you when you come home um you know try not to stay out too late make sure you're getting enough rest and i'm like you're the best alfred i love you <laughs> um also, just like a kind of like a this is reminiscent, a, a cultural touchstone that I think makes this a 90s Batman movie or a 90s superhero movie because we don't have this anymore. Superheroes these days don't have henchmen where the opening scene of this movie is people in clown makeup ruining the like the the Gotham City Christmas gathering. This is true. And I'm like, you know, they don't make them like this anymore. People don't dress up in matching uniforms and take on the city together and i feel like this was a very 90s moment and it was nice to relive it again i agree it was it was very reminiscent very nostalgic yeah i think this movie is just nostalgia from back to front every time they did a close-up of michael keaton in the batman mask i'm like he is wearing so much eyeshadow so or just much. face paint so much. like i th- i think about in arrow the first two seasons of Arrow, he didn't have a mask. He just put, like, grease paint over his eyes. And it wasn't until Barry Allen became the Flash and did a crossover with Arrow where he was like, Hey, Oliver, please wear a mask. Like, like you don't have to do the pa- You could just wear a mask. And I feel like someone needed to have this same conversation with Michael Keaton's Batman. Like, the mask is good enough. Like, you you got it. Don't worry. I want to know what he looked like with the eye makeup on without the mask. Yeah, because we never see it. Because when he takes the mask off, you, he, the, the face paint is gone. I and I definitely like, noticed that. So, um, any last thoughts? Yeah, uh, this movie could have used a little bit more Batman, a little bit more action, a little bit more Selena Bruce kissy kissy. But like, it was good. I enjoyed this movie. It was it was fun to go back and rewatch it. It's not one of my favorites, but I definitely respect it for what it is. Oh, there is one more thing I want to talk about. Um, the the I don't know how the gown, the onesie that Oswald wears for most of the movie. Mm-hmm is hideous hideous it's disgusting like filthy oh my god filthy and like i want to know who weathered that costume because they did such a good job i almost dislike them for it (laughs) entirely valid it was so gross and like when he was wearing his like mayoral get up i'm like oh man at least he looks civilized but then he like undresses and it's he looks like he just got done rolling around in the dirt for fun for an hour and a half i'm like come on man you're better than this knowing him he probably did though yeah he also bit a lot of people in this movie so many like 
there's one dude that like gives him a backhanded compliment that's like oh like you know someone that looks like you i'm glad that you finally have decorum or something like that and the penguin's like well at least i don't have a bleeding nose and then just bites him on the bridge of his nose i'm like whoa whoa man we are we are not taking this integration into society thing very well are we that was clever though that was clever though yeah i think Listen, maybe he did it for the wrong reasons, but Shrek did try to make the Penguin a valid member of society. And it was, I would say, purely the Penguin's fault as to the fact that he didn't. Absolutely. So, what's your rating? Um, flat seven. Flat seven. Good, good, liked it. Liked it. Not great. Room for improvement. Flat seven. I'm giving this one a 6.5. It was a little slow for me. On the Batman movie hierarchy, it is definitely nowhere near the top, but it's not at the bottom either. So... This is, I am, this is confidently a mid-tier Batman movie. Definitely. Like, like, don't skip it, but like, you can take your time getting around to it. (laughs) Exactly. Like, you need to watch it at some point, but, like, it doesn't have to be in the constant rotation. All right. So, like I said, a verdict for this movie, almost a Christmas movie. Almost. Uh, That's my, it's like, it is not a Christmas movie. It's almost a Christmas movie. Now, we're going to move on to the movie that I think has no right having (laughs) as much Christmas in this movie as it does. And that's Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm so excited to talk about this one. How vested into this franchise, how invested in this franchise are you? Um, I will say. I need to know before I go into it. I will say that I really, really like the first movie, but it's been literally so long since I've seen the second. And I don't think I ever watched the third, but I have a very nostalgic attachment to this first one. Okay, then my opening statement will be, this movie is buck wild for not always good reasons. I will agree um, with that. So, so, th- so The Chronicles of Narnia was originally a book series written by C.S. Lewis, who, if you didn't know, was, uh, he, part of his career was he was, um, he would write pieces defending Christianity. He was a very religious author. And I would say The Chronicles of Narnia does a good job at not really being religious. Like you could interpret it as a religious allegory if you wanted to, but you could also not. Mm-hmm. However, there's a few times where something sneaks in and I'm like, hey, Mr. Lewis, why is Santa Claus in this movie? Hey, Mr. Lewis, why do they have Christmas in Narnia? Well, it's mentioned at the beginning by James McAvoy's character that, I mean, they have everything that, like, the regular world has, but since the White Witch moved in, they haven't had Christmas in a hundred years. And so now that the kids are there, it's like, yay, we can have Christmas again. I'm just saying that, do they have Nazareth in Narnia? Okay. Is there- Craig. Somebody had to give them their weapons, and that was the easiest way to go about it when there's (laughs) snow on the ground. I'm like, Christmas is a very human concept, and here we have, you know, here we have fawn and talking beavers just, like, vibing with it. Okay, there's a lot I want to talk about in this movie, all right? First being, sometimes this movie went hard with the names. You know, Mr. Tumnus, the name of the captain of the wolf guard. I don't know it off the top of my head, but, like, it's a cool name, right? And then we get Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and also Mr. Mr. Fox. 
weeks. You know. So sometimes, so sometimes, I, I know. Just there are definitely pieces. There are parts where I'm like, ah, yes, effort was put in here, and then other parts where I'm like, we could have used a little bit more, Mister Lewis. Just come on, just throw in one more name. But I, yeah, you do your thing. You, I, I want to now. I've taken a good turn. It, I, I think it, it, you should say something. Okay, so the first time that I ever saw this movie, it was like either the first or second movie that I ever saw in theaters, and it was on a trip to Iowa. My first and only time in Iowa, and I remember being incredibly sick and also being very young and being like, "This movie is so long," but I love this it. This movie is so long <laughs> like i remember being a very sleepy child by the end of this movie but yeah i, just, I watch i watch a lot of these movies at incorrect times i will say uh i started this movie at one in the morning and i got Typical. to a part where i'm like where i'm like okay there's got to be like 20 minutes left in this movie 50 minutes there was 50 minutes left in this movie <laughs> yeah you're an hour in and you're like all right so there's got to be like 20 minutes left and there's a whole nother hour and a half. But what drew me into it was just how beautiful it is and how like revolutionary the CGI was compared to other childhood movies I had watched before this. Yeah, for what it's worth, pound for pound, this movie's CGI holds up pretty well. There are some times where like the wolf, like the fox, like Mr. Fox, like he was a little shoddy sometimes. The beavers, sometimes eh. But like Aslan, Ugh. solid for most of the movie, right? Yes. And also, you know, the makeup that they did for Mr. Tumnus solid the the um you know the ice powers Mm -hmm. cool like the cgi holds up it does and this is also another movie that made me love james mcavoy though watching it back as an adult i feel like it wouldn't have been too far for them to make him put on a vest at some point yeah i was thinking about that too like hey james are you cold buddy at the very least you gotta feel pretty awkward because he's the only shirtless person on set only shirtless person and around a bunch of children i was like oh buddy come on a vest and yeah like also he's not in as much of this movie as i thought it would be yeah he's in a lot less than i remember he's in the very first he's in the first 30 minutes of the movie he's in for like five minutes in the middle and then the very end which the very end makes me tear up every time but yeah um that's diving in too soon (laughs) (laughs) uh i think this movie doesn't do world building super well i feel that i think the the thing that i walked away from this thinking is this is a very good children's first fantasy series yes like if you like for a kid's first high fantasy series you could do worse than this there are a few things like i kind of wish they had delved a little deeper in the concept of magic and you know the dark magic or whatever they call it and the and how the white witch gets her power and what directly they are doing to weaken her power like those are all kind of like they're like you get it you get it so i kind of so i kind of just wish there was a little bit more in terms of that um i also think the dynamic of these kids being royalty is just as jarring for us the audience as it is for them the kids which you can make a case for is good 
I think but so. But I personally didn't love it because when the kids were like, we're 14 or eight, we should not be going to war or leading an army. I'm like, yeah, I'm actually with them on this one. It was, Can they go home? They were very logical children. That is for sure. They were like, uh, this like we're here and now we're royalty in this world we didn't even know exist and now this witch is trying to literally murder me with my own sword how the heck did i get here yeah so by the final battle when peter is like all decked out and like ready to lead the army and i'm like i feel like i feel like you kind of i you invested yourself very quickly in this very also dude Edmund's redemption arc sucked. Edmund sucks and his redemption arc sucks. I hate Edmund so much. He shows back up. He's like, I'm sorry. And then Aslan is like, it is in the past. We must focus on the future. I'm going to sacrifice myself and let her kill me. So no. you can kind of do nothing in the final battle. That I'm like, all right, sure. You, Why not? You also, mentioning Aslan and the fact that he like sacrificed himself because I mean, he obviously knew and it's explained later. I'm not going to explain it right now because people can either watch it or they have watched it. But him going and sacrificing himself and Susan and Lucy watching it happen while Susan has the bow and arrow on her back that Saint Nick tells her will never miss and she doesn't use it on the witch then and there <laughs> made me so mad. I think about that. The, th the scene that made me think about that was when the white witch showed up to their camp. Oh my God. Look, I'm just like, one well-placed arrow could end this whole thing right now. <laughs> Literally, notch that bitch up. Let's go. And another thing that was like, maybe the world building could have used a little bit, uh, could have been punched up a little bit, is the fact that Edmund did it all, did all the betrayal for Turkish delight. <laughs> which, what an awful motivation. But awful. also, does Narnia have the country Turkey? I mean... Well, how did she know what a Turkish delight was? I, you know... <laughs> Who knows, honestly. Like, you couldn't have just chosen a different candy that's like, oh, butterscotch. Boom. Solved your problem, <laughs> Mr. Lewis. The thing is that, like, the world building had to be sacrificed because otherwise this would have been a five-hour long Four movie. Four-hour movie? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Also, <laughs> this movie, I th th this movie came out during a... T the books came out during a time and the when the books didn't but like th this movie got adapted at about the same time as several other things that were very similar so it, the point that i'm trying to make is if you said we're gonna watch the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe and then you turned on the golden compass <laughs> i probably wouldn't notice for like 45 minutes i, said, I hated the golden <laughs> compass i could not stay focused during the golden compass it was so confusing to me maybe i was too young to be watching watching it but i don't even want to watch it again but like the chronicles of narnia uh the uh the golden compass aragon like all that like 2008 fantasy genre all just kind of happened at the same time yeah and, like and maybe that's why none of that stuck with me 
And like, that's why I don't even want to watch the His Dark Materials HBO show because I'm just like, I feel like, I feel like I've seen this before. And even though I haven't, like Aragon is the only movie from that era that I've seen and remember a lot of. Mm -hmm. So like watching this, I'm just like, yeah, I've seen this before. It's two and a half hours and I've never seen this before, but (laughs) I've seen this before. Okay, but but I do want to say, like I said, as far as a children's first fantasy series goes, you could do worse. This is not a bad movie. I definitely agree that the 2005 to 2009 like fantasy genre like kind of started with the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but then like ended with Avatar, and like you can see just how much better it got over those years, and also you can see which studios had more money comparing yeah. <laughs> Aragon to Chronicles or the Chronicles compared to even Avatar itself. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. This movie is I also think the first moment where I'm like, okay, this movie is going to play fast and loose in terms of what it's going to tell us is when they didn't tell us how the wardrobe led to Narnia, which like if it was a magic doorway, fine, but mm-hmm. they never told us what activated the magic doorway because if it was just the concept of believing I would say that Edmund didn't really believe when he went through. So I just like, well, the, that was the first moment where I'm like, sometimes the wardrobe does work. Sometimes it doesn't work. Like, I don't really understand. I don't understand what this movie wants me to question. The issue is. And so the entire time I'm just like, I'm just going to let it happen and just, you know, st- stake my problems where they may be. <laughs> the issue is that this is the second book in the series. This isn't even the first book in the Narnia series. The first book starts with the professor. You know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Th- because it does kind of feel like we're starting halfway through something. Right? Like they should have given us the first book, but they knew that the second book with the children is what was going to sell. Okay, but there was, I had to look it up. I definitely thought that the professor was Santa Claus for a hot second. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been cool. They should have done that. They, they should have done that. You're cr- if they had done that, I would be a lot less harsh on this movie about having Christmas in Narnia. <laughs> Truly, it would have been a way better character placement. Yeah, I th- okay. I think that the thing that would have made this movie better, you know, separate it from the books for a second. Mm-hmm. Is like, I think that this movie should have been one of those, the people we know in real life are showing up in this fantastical world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. the mean headmistress would have been the white witch. Ooh. And the professor would have been Santa Claus. And, you know, their yeah, mom but- and dad could have been Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and stuff like that. But at the like, same that's time. that's the kind of... A- at the same time, I feel like that takes away from it being their own little world and like making it feel less real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's just something that if that had happened, I would have let it take a few more liberties. Mm. But the fact that it was trying to sell a real fantastical world while also not giving us many details about the fantastical <laughs> world, I'm like, you gotta give me something. True. Very true. So... Did, you said that you watched the second one, but it's been a billion years. Yeah, and you've never and you've never watched the third one. No. I have no interest in continuing this franchise. Like I do. Is the is the second one because they're bo- the second and third movies are both rated lower than this movie. Like just tell me tell me about it. 
I bud? don't really remember anything about it other than people loving Prince Caspian, but also hating him. But like, I forgot what I was, I was going to say something. I was going to say well, something. They like him in the sense that he's attractive and probably jump-started yeah. a lot of teenage yeah. sexualities. Pretty much. But like, I it confuses me that they did this because like, and that they went back for those movies, but they went back as like, younger when at the end of this movie big spoiler alert don't feel sorry about it they're like whole adults when they walk out of the wardrobe and then like 10 minutes has passed in real life which i really like that there's like that world time difference i've always loved when they do that so like for them to go back in the second movie and be like teenagers and young children again it's kind of like okay so are we just like going back on parts you fast forwarded through but like i said it's been years since I've watched it, so I'd have to rewatch it to confirm whether or not that is, but I assume that's probably what it is. Yeah, even as a kid who, like, really only knew this movie through the trailers, I felt like the studio didn't want to commit to this franchise. Like, they made two more of them. For I didn't even know the third one came out until, like, years later. This I remember the second one being pretty heavily marketed, mm-hmm. but not hearing anything about it after it got released. And then the third one was just, like, you know, it was like Mockingjay Part 2. It was like, take it out of obligation and nothing else. Yeah, the second one is literally just what caused everybody to begin thirsting over Ben Barnes. <laughs> Yeah, I also think I I also want to lump series of unfortunate events into this whole like you could sit me down and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Specifically, the Jim Carrey one, Valid. The, like the 2009 Jim Carrey one. I used to watch um, that one. Tangent. I used to watch that one when I was really little, and it like didn't phase me. I loved it, but then I watched it when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and it horrified me. And I haven't watched it since. Um, I, yeah, I've never seen that. I have, uh, my relationship with series of unfortunate events is I remember always having the books in my closet, but never the first one. Mm. It was always like the second and fourth one. And I remember like (laughs) thumbing through the pages and seeing like the weird format changes that each chapter takes. And I'm like, huh, this is weird. And also as a kid, I'm like, I don't want to read a series called The Series of Unfortunate Events. That sounds bad and no fun. That sounds depressing. No, I definitely think that that is one that we should watch at some point yeah um i i did end up watching the netflix series for series of unfortunate events i have i didn't finish it i didn't finish it it was a very cool concept where by the time i got like halfway through season two they just started kind of doing the same thing over and over again i'm like i get it i get it (laughs) i get it um but will arnett and colby smulders are very attractive in that series true um but anyway chronicles of narnia um (laughs) Uh, a solid seven tra- for me. This is a flat six for me. You could do a lot worse, but I've seen a lot better. Um, yeah, I definitely think the last point is pure nostalgia. Sure, sure. And I respect that. This movie is not bad to the point where I criticize people that like it. Um, if it if this is your favorite fr- if this is your favorite fantasy f- movie, it's because you grew up reading the books. You don't watch this movie and be like, I've never seen magic like this before. Exactly. L- but like, y- I don't want to take away from the magic that is in this movie because there is a lot. I think this movie does a lot well. It just also 
feels generic. I agree. Um, so moving on, that was our small and holiday special. <laughs> uh, next month is January. Uh, for permanent good, we are doing my favorite uh movies, and so for small and tall, we did Bug Celebrity Crush in November, which means it's which means it's it's time to do my celebrity crush. Woo-woo. Um, uh, January is going to be our Brie Larson appreciation appreciation month. Um, we are going to be watching in this order: Glass Castle, Unicorn Store, Free Fire, and Room. So excited for this! I there I've seen two of those movies, and I haven't seen two of those movies. Unicorn Store is going to get a little controversial. Mm-hmm. All right, lots of people hate that movie. I got halfway. We're going to see how it. I feel about it. The We're going to see how I... The first time I watched it, I got halfway through it and then had to ditch it. So now I'm going to push through just for you, Gregory. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I'm going to see if it holds up for me because I really... You know what? This is this is conversation for next month. Yep. We're teasing you <laughs> for a whole month. Okay. Um, and I want to add. I want to add. Yeah. Because somebody who listens to this podcast will not name names, made a comment about our spoilers. So here I am to say, we tell you what movies we are going to watch a month in advance so that you can watch them with us and then come back here for the discussion. And also we talk about movies that you should have already seen by now. Yeah, and they're in the description. Uh, I didn't tweet a schedule this month, but normally I do tweet the schedule. I know, right? But uh, yeah, I'll tweet the schedule for January well ahead of time. You have plenty of time to watch them. Um, We give you warning beforehand. Carry on at your own risk. Um, But regardless, uh, I don't do the outro for this show. (laughs) My, What is that? I I always forget the outro for this show. And I do it every time. (laughs) You, yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, that was the Small and Holiday special. Join us next month for the Brie Larson Appreciation Month. Uh, That's Bug and the... I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. We'll see you next year. Next year. Wild. (laughs) I I have no expectations for next year. I'm going to float. I'm going to float and let whatever happens happen. Amen. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Bye. Bye.